Not every look into a person's past is going to turn up something good. Well, I'm luckier than most, but there's still some troubling things that have occurred in my family given the more than 400 years of Seavers in America. For instance, I recently found out about poor Gaffney Seaver, my great-grandmother thrice over, who was crossing the western frontier in the 1840s. Gaffney and her family had survived many hardships along the trek through the Rocky Mountains, but it wasn't until they met a mysterious traveler by the name of Ukiah Mazarin that things went from bad to weird. Ukiah was a conjurer, a mystic, and a speaker of tongues. I bet I would have liked him. Gaffney sure took a shine to him right quick, and soon the two spent hours talking religion and magic while boiling water over the campfire. Boiled water has long been a staple on the Seaver family table. We serve it every Thanksgiving. Ukiah would use the water steam to read Gaffney's future and would fill her head with all sorts of ideas. He told her about visions he had of people spending large sums of money on simple rocks, round machines with funny names that would clean the soot from the floors on their own, and jackets without sleeves that you could fold up into tiny little squares and stuff into its own pockets. The future, he insisted, was real and full of marvels. But Gaffney clung to her own ideas about things and the teachings of the good book. And one night they got into an awful argument about false prophets and how an automobile would never work. And as arguments inevitably went in that era, discussions soon turned to the disastrous presidential term of James Polk, who Gaffney wanted to give the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, in a flash of anger, Gaffney struck Ukiah with her Bible, causing him to tumble into a small ditch beyond the fire under some sagebrush. Ashamed and not wanting Ukiah's soul to be devoured by vultures, she spoke an ancient Caius incantation and trapped Ukiah's spirit in an amulet of amber and gold. The family moved on and would later settle in Oregon, but Gaffney thought often about old Ukiah and how he was pretty right about a lot of things. And that's why I think all objects have feelings, and the reason we're drawn to certain things and buy the furniture that we do. And that's also why my wife Galinda is scared of yard sales and the goodwill. To each his own. But some of our own are souls trapped in trinkets, like the one we wear around our neck now that we can touch gently with our fingers, speak a few magic words, and then open up the portal that leads us to the deep night. Hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, your host, guru, and spiritual guide through this next hour of regrets and revelations. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. I am recently back from the wilds of Wisconsin and the banks of the mighty Lake Michigan. Do you know how toilets are made? I do. I went to the toilet factory in Kohler. I watch things I can't tell you about because of trade secrets. Toilet secrets. But I also visited a powerful artistic project there, miles away from the toilet molds, the home of one Mary Knoll. Now, some called her a witch, because she was a single woman living at home, making strange sculptures in her yard out of stones and cement with little faces on them. You know, the way single people do. But, friend, she was no more a practitioner of dark magic than you or I. Well, you, I do dabble occasionally. She was just a gal who lived by herself on the lake and sometimes had to shoot blanks at kids who came into her yard. We all have neighbors like that. Kids can be troubling. The place 
The place had absolutely vibrated with curious energy. Her work was everywhere. Wooden heads carved to resemble deep-eyed beings, paintings of faceless and genderless people dancing but never touching. Reminded me of quite a few evenings spent with Galinda's family. Well, sometimes these folks are called outsider artists, but what they convey is a deep sense of our inner experiences. They often give us a better perspective on the human condition than many of the celebrated artists whose work hangs not in garages or backyards, but in museums. Strange energies, radical honesty, living sounds, our cosmic connections, these are some of the preoccupations of my guest on the program today, musician, singer, songwriter, Odetta Hartman. Now, all season, we're trying to understand how America's past informs the present, and Odetta is someone pursuing something similar with all of her many talents and with such kindness and heart. A scholar of early American field recordings, she employs similar techniques in making new sounds, such as the wonderful sounds found on her albums, Toot Toot Do and Old Rock Hounds Never Die. Is the secret in a banjo or the vibrations within? Maybe. Maybe both. Folk music at its most sacred, human, and wise. This is a conversation that I really enjoyed with Odetta Hartman. Odetta Hartman, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Now, are you a morning person? I am a night owl and an early bird. Uh, a night owl and an early bird. That yes. doesn't give a lot of time for the sleeps. No. <laughs> I try to work on that. <laughs> but that's how it is. Creative people. Yeah. I like to stay up way. I don't really get started till 11 p.m. Yeah. And I've always been that way. Same. Same. Yeah. Same. But now, especially having toured so extensively and been in different time zones. Yeah. Um. My sleep is really <laughs> wonky, so yeah, I'm both. But do you find it uh, uh, energizing to, to, to be have... up in the morning? Well, but maybe sure. Yeah, well, just to operate on so little sleep. Yeah, I do find it energizing. I do think it's catching up with me right now. <laughs> yes, because you're at the end of a tour. I am. I've just finished like 15 months on the road, and now I have three weeks off. And then I'm going back out in December to do one last run with Lola Kirk. And then 2020 is free and clear. Wow. Well, good. Because yeah. the, the ratio to time off to time on there seems a little uh, wonky to me. Yeah. 15 months. 15 months. What are you in a bus? It's kind of been different every time. Um, it wasn't all the same uh, lineup and um, journey. So, yeah, I left. I put... Old Rockhounds Never Die. It came out two Augusts ago. So, yes. uh, what month are we in now? <laughs> November. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I just feel like I've been time traveling. Um, and I left to do a two-week run with Let's Eat Grandma in the North, like North America. Uh-huh. And then I had two weeks in Europe to kind of promote the record. Yes. Um, but by the third show of the first tour, the Ballroom Thieves had asked me to join them for 20 dates. So that brought me through the end of the year, and then I went back to Europe, and then I went back to California, and then it all just kind of tumbled from there. And, I'm exhausted uh, just thinking about that. <laughs> it's been really fun, though. It's been the best. But that's the life, too. It's the life. You've signed up for it, so you know what's going to yeah. happen. I It definitely chose me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is um, that true? 
<laughs> yeah, um, I'm really, really grateful. There was one moment on the last Lola tour when I was just having so much fun on stage with my really good friends, and I kind of, I was like laughing, we'd cry. I was like, "This is the best. This is like, I just have the best <laughs> life. This is so much fun that I get to travel with people I love and and bring joy to folks around the world." Absolutely, yeah. it sounds like you have a, a spirit of yes. Saying yes to things. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe to my own detriment. <laughs> well, that can always get you into trouble a little bit. Um, but I've been listening to the album, The Old Rock Hounds Never Die, and uh, just so fond of it. So thank you for the good work that you've put into that. Thank you. Um, and it's one of these uh, sonic experiences that uh, rewards the repeat listener mm. because there's a level of depth to it, uh, the layering that happens, which I gather is always a part of it uh, from listening to the other albums, too. Um but the whole thing starts on a kind of a joke. Yes. Right? <laughs> this little scrap of, of information that old rock hounds never die. They just slowly petrify. They just slowly <laughs> petrify. Which, uh, thank you for having that lodged into my head now <laughs> forever. <laughs> I can't take credit. I didn't write that line. No. I won't take credit for okay. it. It's a Victorian pun. A Victorian pun. Yeah. So you find that? How did you find this scrap of? Uh, uh, Literally on a scrap piece of paper, a little postcard, a yellowed postcard that I found in the redwoods years ago. Um, just there among the trees. It was in like a crystal shop. Oh. Um, you know, just off the highway somewhere yes. years ago. And then in my studio, I used to live in D.C. And in my studio space, I had this kind of mood board of all of my little collector card things um and i had been working on the record um already and just one silly night was sitting on my desk and looked up and and saw this card that had been there for a year literally years it had been above my desk and i just kind of struck a big c fat c chord and it all just tumbled out and actually that first track on the record was just thankfully jack the producer happened to press the space bar probably on just like a zoom uh-huh. and uh and recorded me just fooling around like off the dome so that wasn't planned it wasn't um <laughs> and it kind of perfectly tied the whole record together and i think that that that's really the magic of being in the studios when you have moments like that yes but it also speaks to your process of kind of uh finding little scraps here and there or yeah. putting things together in a not quite a collage way but in some way of definitely collage of of, of, of taking these little bits that are out there, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's in field recordings, which maybe we'll talk about. But um, it, it's inherent to your process. Definitely. And do you write that way, too, with other songs? Um, in terms of... Do you refine pieces that allow maybe uh, finding found texts, uh, being inspired by found texts, um, looking at something for a year and then... <laughs> less, l- less lyrically. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, with lyrics, they kind of come forth all at once. Yeah. Um, but more sonically, so I have a bunch of scraps, uh, little chord progressions or melodies um, that will be cycling through. I actually just yesterday was kind of scrolling through my voice memos looking for something specific and discovered like <laughs> 10 songs that I completely forgot that I had been working on. Um, and those will kind of come up uh, later, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. Um, yeah. But the song Batonebo on... 222 was a chord progression that I had had in my brain for years um, and didn't know lyrically what it was about. Um, And then I was hosting these Balkan vocal classes with Eva Selena, and she brought this story about um, the Batonebo is an evil spirit 
Uh-huh. In Georgian tradition, they believe that if you were sick, you had an evil spirit inside of you. So they would bring all the women of the village to come and sing around your bedside table and decorate your room with flowers and and uh, just kind of sing the sickness out of you. Yes. Um, and so she taught us that folk song, and I just loved that concept, and it fit so perfectly with the melodic content that I already had. And um, so I was able to kind of piece that together um, in a sort of collaged way yeah um, I definitely am inspired by texts and, and books and poems um, but not so literally as like yes. taking a line from I'm reading P- Patty Smith's just kids again um, <laughs> but that that uh, the, the song how do you say it Batonebo Batonebo uh, uh, that's a that's a delightful song too thank you I mean it's, it's one that I was really gravitating to on that new album too it's kind of a banger yeah, it's definitely a banger. <laughs> and it's now a that spooky I, one. I know that it's um, uh, about drumming out an evil spirit, yeah. I'm even more drawn to it. <laughs> uh, but that, and it seems to me, just comparing the two albums, uh, that that two 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 has a kind of um, airy quality to it, mm. a little more ethereal. Uh, maybe spirits involved. I don't know. And that this one, I mean, in a literal sense, much more about the earth much more connected in an elemental way to uh, the ground. To I mean, the pictures that you have are of you in a cavern, mm-hmm. in a cave. There's uh, the widow's peak where you're kind of both the mountain and the person waiting for the shore, the body to wash up on the shore. Is that just uh, me spinning out? Or No, I love that. Thank you for that interpretation. <laughs> it it's, that way. it's pretty spot on, actually. Oh, okay. I, I wouldn't say it's intentional, but... Yeah. Um, Definitely, those are the themes. Yeah. Well, shoo, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the next one needs to be fire. If we have air, element, earth, so maybe the next album will be fire. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing what <laughs> happens. I'm going into the studio next week. So. Okay. Well, maybe think about that. I will. I'm going to channel that. <laughs> That's great. Now, when, what was the cave that you were in? That was Luray Caverns. Luray Caverns, which is where? Um, it's in the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, sounds um, lovely. It is very cool. There's a lot of caves over in there. Yeah. And um, that one in particular we went to because there's an organ inside. There was a man who shaved the stalactites and then set up these mallets and has a player piano. And it plays itself and actually hits the stalactites and and creates this resonance that's really beautiful and and bizarre and spooky. Um, Literally playing the earth. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I got to get there. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's a really spectacular cavern. There, I've been to a bunch, but that one is massive, and yeah. they have an underwater or underground lake. Um, it's it's. That it's you a can seat. swim in? No, okay. no, no. I don't know. But, sometimes, <laughs> guy yeah, may. Okay, I don't think it's deep enough. Set up a piano. Maybe he wants <laughs> to take a dip. Uh, I've been to a lot in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Uh Through there. And mostly what I see is uh, people taking a lot of liberties with colorful lights. Yes. Lorraine <laughs> also does that. But fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's an experience. Yeah. Okay. But you got to think that the place was spectacular on its own. True. Without a gel. The one that I was just in, um, Lost World Caverns in West Virginia, they don't, they don't do the like blue lights and all that that just keep it natural and keep it natch it is really beautiful it feels like i mean when you when you go underground like that it feels like a cathedral a man yes. a, a naturally made cathedral yeah um, do you think really cathedrals sacred. were inspired by caves potentially why not potentially <laughs> yeah i mean there's just something really sacred about it um I mean, you you mentioned it before, just like the grounding. Yeah. And the, the, I just felt really equilibrialized being underground like that. Yeah. 
I'm fully a, a cave person. The troglodyte, I think I just learned that word, means you're a cave person. Well, we came out of the thing, <laughs> right? I, I think so. <laughs> well, I guess the jury's out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, go back, and then I want to tie back to the uh, idea of field recordings and this and that. Uh, but uh, you have a lot to live up to being named after one of the great singers of all time, Odetta. It's true. So what was the situation at home? We're talking a lot of batik fabrics on the wall, some Buddha <laughs> incense holders. What's, Definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my parents are very wonderful, wacky people. Yeah. Very esoteric. Uh, my mom is from West Virginia. Okay. And my dad is from Long Island. And they just raised us um, in the East Village, Lower East Side. Yeah, here in uh, New York. Here in New York, yeah. Whoa. Not too far um, from here, actually. And I ah. went to school just across House and Street. Um, and, yeah, so I my they were very much involved in the arts and the community, um, dragging my brother, my sister, and I to, uh, you know, burlesque shows <laughs> and <laughs> experimental music performances and the poetry project. Yes. Um, I was just surrounded by so many incredible mentors my whole life, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, it, it, it makes me think that, you know, New York at this moment is what it is, but it's a kind of, a, and I come to it later, but a kind of a slicker, a kind of a whatever's happening here. You think about business, you think about people moving. I tend to forget the whole hippiness of this place. yeah. Which is vibrant and alive when you talk about Lower East Side. I mean, my gosh, there's a, there's a lot to it. Yeah, I don't think it's so vibrant anymore, unfortunately. It doesn't feel that way. You no. don't get the sense of that. No, it's pretty sad, but I'm not going to think about it. But, okay. <laughs> um, but definitely when I was growing up, um, I mean, my my parents moved to the East Village in the 70s. Yeah. Um, they were uh, in the – there was this community center called Chadas. Uh-huh. Um, and it was an abandoned school building that was squatted by a bunch of artists and they turned it into studios and it was this kind of like utopian center for the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was this incredible, just like renegade mentality of like taking care of the people in the community, um, and providing social services because frankly the the government and and, and the city wouldn't do that for people. Um, and unfortunately like that, that spirit has been really compromised. Um, but, you know, we're trying our best to, to yes, carry the torch. Yes, it's still there. Certainly still there. I mean, yeah. the, the activism and the progressive uh, ideals are still intact. And uh, they are. <laughs> I don't know if intact, but maybe they're... <laughs> well, let's say the, the people that still care deeply about those things still care deeply about those yeah. things and doing what they can to, to enact them, Definitely. whether the actual mechanisms are intact. Yeah, and sure. a lot of those spaces are gone now. Um, but... Yeah, that was very much the the neighborhood that I was brought up in. And my parents um, started a couple of restaurants. And so those kind of became these like living room spaces for artists and, and locals to meet and congeal and cook in the sauce together and um, share a meal. And um, yes. I think that that's really a part of my spirit as well. Um, and, and what I look to do with my art is to create a space um, to bring joy to people and um, and have this sort of like healing, nourishing quality. Um, it's so needed. Yeah. It truly is. That's the good work of it. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I came, I grew up in a situation where I think they were hippie adjacent. 
you know, like they could have been, but mm. on account of uh, whether aspiration or uh, depression, <laughs> weren't able to make it fully embrace it, you know. But we yeah. went to a lot of craft fairs, that's for sure, <laughs> which uh, just means that we were artistic but poor. Um, but uh, I still relate to uh, the, this... this uh, uh, beautiful. Whenever I see a collaboration happen that really works, or people being generous of spirit, I respond to it. And the older I get, I just start weeping. Mm. Uh, and if there's any kind of pain or anything de- depicted, or you know, there's a real sacred quality to what's happening to people sharing mm. in their voices and singing out. You watch some of the sacred harp singers and that kind of thing. My gosh. Yeah. Just flood of, of tears. Yeah. I get pretty emotional, too. It's powerful. <laughs> that kind of music. Put one of those groups in a cave? Forget <laughs> about it. We should do that. <laughs> I mean, you want to see me really lose it. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, speaking of the field recordings thing, mm-hmm. though, you, you studied Alan Lomax. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my gosh, where would we be without Alan Lomax? Right? <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> a lot of people don't know about him. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do as well is to carry that legacy because, yeah, where would we be? We wouldn't. We literally wouldn't have a sense of American cultural identity if we didn't have him doing the good work that he did. Yeah. Um, and Alan, of course, uh, Lomax went, went into uh, rural communities across the country, a lot in the south, uh, Appalachia, and uh, recorded the songs of uh, the folk mm-hmm. and, and kind of traced its origins. And some that disappeared almost immediately after much, he recorded yeah. Yeah. things that were handed down in oral traditions and that kind of thing that mm-hmm. only existed in a, a, a single body on a porch somewhere. Exactly. Remarkable. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's really interesting um, to study even academically as like a history nerd. Um, I specifically wrote my, I went to Bard College yeah. and I wrote my thesis on a trip that Lomax took in 1935 with Zora Neale Hurston. And that was the first time that he went out into the field without his dad, John, who was kind of the, who paved the way for that. And John would go into the cowboy trails and and hand transcribe these cowboy songs on like you know scrolls and parchment, um, but to think about the the development of technology right at the time that Alan was about twenty years old was working with the the Library of Congress and you know of course the Second New Deal was funding these kind of artistic endeavors. Um, and so for me, it's really interesting to think about technology interfacing with the folk. Yeah, and, and there is this parallel right now. Um, the fact that we all have portable technology in our pocket and can make recordings any time but when he was setting out he literally had one of three portable machines that were like 800 pounds that would get go in the trunk you know portable in quotes right um, but this was really groundbreaking real to real machine at that right? point they had um wax these like wax cylinders oh my god um it's really cool you can go to the library of congress and they have a lot of this stuff in the archives and you can like actually hold them and like the old edison cylinders those kind um, of things yeah it looks like that yeah my gosh um how fragile so fragile how fragile fragile. the whole enterprise is fragile but then to record it on what is through the south through through places where the weather is unpredictable not great for wax yeah, and and also like you know they were especially when he was traveling with Zora, there was a lot of you know obviously race issues. She's an African American anthropologist, um, and they would they would like have to um, use like burnt cork to like darken his skin, and and they got arrested a few times, and so they were constantly getting like harassed by yeah. um, you know the authorities because they were traveling uh, mixed race um, couple maybe. 
potentially they were together. I don't know. That's a mystery. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> are we breaking news? Uh, well, there's a lot of, I like dug pretty deeply into the letters. There's a, there's a lot of like secret drama about that trip that, ah. um, I'm not going to start any rumors, Yeah, okay. but, but just the fact that <laughs> they were will. traveling, <laughs> they were traveling together, yeah. um, was suspicious and, uh, yeah, they had so many issues um, to overcome, and you know, thank God they just were so diligent and, and committed to what they were doing. Um, I posited that that trip that he took was like he wasn't necessarily looking to follow in his father's footsteps um, in terms of doing field recordings. He was a communist, and he he kind of wanted to just like go off and do his own thing. But that trip was really um, monumental for him. Um, and I think, you know, encourage him to keep make make a life's work out of it. And I mean, just like the body of collected songs and, and stories um, in the Lomax archives is is so vast and so incredible um, and is available. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Um, yes. It, I mean, a lot of it is. And I guess they're in the process of making much more of it available. Yeah, right? I think it's called the Global Jukebox. Can fact check me on that. You can fact check me on anything that I say, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, but I, th- I mean, there's a lot that's certainly on YouTube there, and certainly online that is. Yeah, Alan Library Lomax Congress, Archives has totally. their own. But there was a specific project that the oh, okay. Lomax um, Library of Congress. There was an initiative to to digitize as much as possible, and I think it's called the the digital global jukebox or something. But even just like going down. I mean, I was going down even before I lived in D.C., but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you live in D.C. or you live in New York, like, it's so cool to just go, and they're really open, and they just want people to come in and engage with the work, and um, I would like to eventually help uh, kind of maybe turn those resources into something uh, more interactive to be used in education um, fields, uh, but, yeah, definitely go check it out. And, and have you uh, have covered some of those songs? Have you have you incorporated any of those things? Would it feel sacrilegious to do so? I don't think sacrilegious. No. Okay, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I generally don't believe in covers. <laughs> That's right. I, um, I don't know. Yeah, which is a you know point of contention for some folks. Uh, but I do. <laughs> um, I when I play live, um, let me I, put it this way: traditionals, traditionals. Yeah, right? exactly. I there mean, that's, a these are like songs of the people, uh, and so singing it almost connects you to the history of the thing itself. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And I feel that. And I, I, I mean, music is incredibly spiritual for me, and I feel like when I'm really hitting it, uh, I'm. I do feel like I'm channeling, channeling spirits and 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 stories, and um, tapping into that like collective energy but um i do this song called shakalaka <laughs> shove it over um that zor neil hurston i had a recording of zor neil hurston doing it. it's a traditional line in rhythm and that's something that i do on stage to to kind of talk about my work studying lomax and and to kind of spread the word um about his legacy in the small way that i can um and zora's as well because she died in an unmarked grave i mean she's now being revived her literature is being taught in high schools and stuff um but yeah I mean, she she was so monumental in our culture, and and yeah, died as like a, a maid, yeah, um, and was buried in an unmarked grave. Um, so I do feel like it's part of my duty to kind of like help spread their stories and their legacy. But this song is called Shakalaka, um, and I do that one, and then I also do another kind of mashup. Um, I was doing, I was waiting in jury duty a few years ago and I just picked up whatever leaflet they had, you know, they like print out these news 
pamphlets and there was this tiny little blurb that said something about Woody Guthrie and obviously I love Woody so I, I flip to it and there was an archivist that had discovered the new yorker did a piece about this maybe right before the election um uh, an archivist had discovered in one of woody's old diaries these lyrics these alternate lyrics to his song i ain't got no home that um specifically call out trump's dad and um (laughs) i just like i was like whoa this is this is so stranger than fiction um so i've been uh, kind of doing my own interpretation of that, incorporating the the lyric, the lost lyrics, uh-huh. um, and then mashing it up with "Will the circle be unbroken?" Um, but yeah, it's like uh, Woody was living in this housing complex in Queens that was run by Trump, and he he noticed that there were discriminatory practices happening, um, and and uh, he wrote these penned these lyrics that were just kind of about how unfair that is, and. Um, yeah, you can't just you just can't make this stuff up. It's like so crazy. Um, and and with, without going too far out on a limb, I would say that evil is inherited. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, history repeats how it, itself. How and it that's, gets passed down. You can't yeah. grow up in an environment and end up the way that some people are. Some people, eh? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, it's fascinating, and American history is fascinating to me, and so uh, that's why I oh, I'm. That's why I wanted to have you come in, too, is to talk to you about some of these things that yeah. go back and to look back and to understand that even with Lomax, why did he go out there in the first place? Does he have any idea that what's he, what he's doing is going to be so important to capture this? We always think where the – or I'm speaking too generally, but some people think that this moment is we have the greatest access to all the things and we're the most enlightened and this and that, but no. Not by a long shot. People were aware of things back then. Yeah. Aware of preserving things. The need to capture sounds that would be ephemeral, that would disappear before they're lost. Mm-hmm. So important. And from that uh, methodology, from that uh, practice, the field recordings, is as you said, you, you still do that with your voice memo on your phone or Zoom recorders yeah, and things it. like that. Uh, thank goodness for the Zoom recording. Yeah, shout but, out to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then you you work those sounds into the uh, into your music, mm-hmm. and it's not unlike the idea of blending technology too with this ancient or old sound. These uh, old songs, bringing modern technology into it. It's certainly the the sound that you create is essentially of the moment. Maybe mm. a little bit of the next moment, <laughs> right? Because you're fusing things that don't necessarily belong together. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a, you can you can hear the technology is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But there's also things that you don't know what the sounds are, which I gather are from frogs or kitchen yeah. kettles or whatever else you're yeah. recording on <laughs> as you travel around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination. The field recordings on the records are a combination of um, just almost like environmental sounds. like. You know, in the 70s, there were those, like, novelty records that you always find in, like, the dollar bin. Yeah. I love those that are, like, they're called, like, environments. And just, like, the ocean or, like, a forest. Um, and I really, like, I will just sit and listen to those. <laughs> like, I love just kind of hearing the white noise of a place. Yeah. Um, and so, like, uh, at the end of Widow's Peak, 
there's um, a recording that we made in Morocco, just walking through the Medina, and you hear a donkey go by, and you hear some kids kind of playing. And, and for me, that transports me back to this like medieval city that's so mystical to me. Um, and I hope that it, it kind of triggers the imagination for other people. Um, so it's a combination of those types of field recordings, and then also like sampling um the sound of scissors or keys on a radiator or a faucet or popcorn popping. Um, and that actually just came out of necessity because I was multi-tracking everything myself. Yeah. Um, Jack Inslee was producing and, um, you know, we didn't have a drummer or a drum kit. And so we, we were designing these digital sounds um, that were made out of organic sounds also we didn't want it to be like all right here's a like ableton snare and like a hi-hat so like on batonebo we use the sound of a faucet mm-hmm. um, or the sound of breaking glass um and that was really fun too to play with these different textures that you know maybe do sound familiar um and and that comes that's sort of the fun of it of, of like trying to identify what it is or um masking uh, or camouflaging a sound that's pretty banal or quotidian, something that you would find in your everyday life, but yeah. recontextualizing it. Yeah, no, it's it's hugely effective, I yeah. think, in what you're doing. Uh, when I do my recordings on the voicemail, I've done a lot in the subway. <laughs> It'll just be of a, if it's a band down there or a busker. Sometimes the way that that mingles with the sound of the city. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs> but if I need to hear the soothing sounds of a steel drum echoing <laughs> through Broadway, I've got a lot Lafayette. of those, too. Uh, and did you go to Iceland? Did I see that? Yep. Uh, went to Iceland. What did you find there? What sound? I was curious. Um, On the ocean, the beginning of the ocean, there is these seagulls that are really intense. And that was on this beach um, in Iceland where the birds were just going crazy. Um, we also found a cave it was called the Singing Cave. We were just like up on a mountain on a glacier and saw some some sign that I, I can't remember what it said, but it, it like said it looked like sing something. Sing sing villar or something. And we found this <laughs> yeah, cave. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's Icelandic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we started reading about it and it turns out there's this whole mythology about this this giant who was half giant half gnome or something that would like come to this cave and sing i mean just i I love mythology too and stories like that and so we like um we had the zoom and we just stood in there had incredible reverb and just sang and um threw rocks and clapped and stomped and um you know those all found their way onto the record that's reminding me that uh, many years ago i was in wales in Aberystwyth. It's on the coast there. Uh-huh. And they have a car. It's a kind of an old castle deal. And underneath, right on the water, they've kind of got the, you know, the not quite a boardwalk, but a, you know, a walkway. And carved into the side of the mountain there and the hill beneath the castle is an alcove. Mm. And they would have choral groups there. A kind of a senior citizen chorus would gather. Um, or forgive me, maybe there was a multi-generational. But... Uh, they, they gathered there and would sing out over the waves. And it just was the most beautiful uh, sound mm. you could imagine. That sounds great. Aber, what was it called? Yeah, try to spell it. <laughs> I've been to Aberdaren in Wales. This is uh, Aberystwyth. Aberystwyth. Yeah, a little like coastal resort seven W's. town. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, what is it, St. Andrews or something, uh, uh, University. Wherever uh, uh, Prince Charles went to school, I think, is out there. Uh-huh. I think, maybe. <laughs> but anyhow, it's a, it's a beautiful little place and just singing is just beautiful yes. <laughs> and if you can do it in nature with the waves coming in 
there's a kind of tidal sound too to yeah. uh, uh, widow speak that happens. Yes. Where it sounds yeah. like the sound all recedes and then suddenly comes back in. Ah, oh. but uh, one of the um, uh, things too, one of the tracks on there I wanted to ask you about misery. Uh-huh. Right. That's a, that's officially a murder ballad, or it's inspired by murder ballads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and murder ballads have such a long history in America. Go back to the Renaissance, uh, and then of course through Scotland and all this. But uh, Americans have really, <laughs> they really brought something to it, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> a, a little took it more. Too literally. I mean, I talked to the Handsome family. Uh, do you know them? The yeah. Handsome family. They're they're out in New Mexico, and maybe you said something about it being inspired by New Mexico. Yeah, I wrote or something that, that song that about New Mexico. Yeah, and they're really into the murder ballads. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know them, look them up. My gosh, they're fantastic, um, and very spooky and creepy, and do all kinds of great things. Um, and when we're talking about murder ballads, it's like Tom Dooley, Long Black Veil, kind of right. Uh-huh. Wouldn't uh, I actually just made it for Halloween. I put together a playlist of oh, oh you did <laughs> of a lot of murder ballads and just kind of like spooky songs. Um, and it's it's it, particularly violence that happens uh, to, in some form, and then generally to women. Generally to women, yes. In fact, in researching murder ballads, because I, I had to do a little refresher on some of these things, I I called up a video. And it's like a television program in the mm. probably 50s or 60s. Uh, just a couple of guys <laughs> playing this uh, uh, song, Knoxville Girl. Uh, and, I mean, you know, it's just the crew cut guys, two two white fellas playing the guitars and the banjos. And as if it's perfectly normal and entertaining. And it's a very dark song. Yeah. And that to me spelt like this is this is the American thing that we brought to it, the entertainment quality of this, rather than relaying the story or, or speaking to something that happened, or even just for the song and <laughs> to the, the beauty of it. To make it entertainment is is the uh, extra sauce. Yeah. <laughs> that that feels so problematic. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're good at that. I guess so. I mean yeah. Our our I don't watch movies, but um, yeah, like uh, aren't all of our movies like highly violent and stuff? Yeah, um, but you're right. Them. That is that is interesting. Um, I but mean, it was shocking to me. I mean, I've heard enough murder ballads, and some of them I like very much, and I don't really think about the violence that's underpinning them. Mm. And this one, of course, is about the guy who ends up being in prison or something because he he had, you know, he no- knocked the gal around and dragged her into the <laughs> into the into the water or something. Yeah. And so at least the guy gets put in jail. But it was so disturbing to just see it plainly presented yeah. in, in such – I mean, I'm, I'm watching it kind of without context, but just in what I can imagine the context of an evening, Sunday afternoon yeah. <laughs> evening television program. Yeah, maybe that's our problem in this culture that we've just, like, normalized it all, where I do think that uh, the tradition of those songs was, was to pass along these stories almost as, a, like, a warning. And oftentimes the – the culprit doesn't get away, and so there is a sense of justice in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The like taking it to like national television and just kind of performing it. I'm, I'm imagining like an Everly Brothers style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can, you can see it. They're in the yeah. suits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything looks perfectly normal, and the audience applauds, and <laughs> they go yeah. on to the next thing, whatever it was. It just seemed to inserting that into a variety act. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just, honestly, I have been struggling with how to perform that song, um, you know, and, and certain days it gets harder. I mean, there's gunshots in it, 
Um, yeah. And, and we actually had to do a different edit for um, European radio because they, they're they're like, listen, we just can't have that many gunshots on our radio. Like, I, we're like, we don't know how you do it in America, but... Um, <laughs> There's but, a gunshot channel yeah. in America. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, but I have struggled with it. I mean... It, it it is it does feel cathartic to perform it yeah. um in a way but uh but yeah there i mean and and a lot of my a lot of the songs that i've written do kind of channel this violence and and um and i i think that is about processing what is kind of circulating in our culture and then and and transmuting it um through song through craft through art um, to express it in a way that is safe yeah. um, and, and helps other people kind of grapple with those themes. Um, but, but yeah, I have gotten kind of sensitive about it. Um, I'll tell you, the first time I heard it, I was shocked. Yeah. I, I just had a reaction of, wow, a gunshot on, on an... Which I was so unexpected. Yeah. And I really had it a kind of... A, given everything that's happening in the world, just an emotional response to it and thought, oh, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and then, but, I mean, I've in repeat listenings, you know, kind of get the context of it and, and process it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- just uh, honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be shocking. You yeah, know. yeah. Um, and Creek Time, which opens two two two, also has gunshots on it, and those were recorded. My neighbors upstate were shooting in the yard. Yeah, you know, right. and I just went out with the recorder and and got that. Um, and, and so that's what I mean. It's like this is this is all around us right now. And, and, um, and as part of the processing, adopting a kind of outlaw persona to to understand what's what that is or to 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 have that be empowering in some way. Yeah, it's definitely about like reclaiming, um, reclaiming the space. Um, I mean, I definitely don't have any guns, um, <laughs> but I'm also a cowboy. You know? <laughs> but uh, Sounds like the best kind of cowboy. Yeah, I, I got, I, you know, a lasso. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah. Um, well, in addition to Alasha, you have a sister who is also a. How about that transition? That's great. <laughs> I don't lasso my sister. Uh, no, no, no. Separate, but uh, things in your life. Yeah. Uh, she's also a musician. She is. So she got the same spirit. Did your parents play music too? Uh, my parents dabbled but definitely wouldn't identify as musicians they were more filmmakers and my mom's a dancer she likes to dj um and my dad is more into film and writing uh-huh. um but they are huge patrons of the arts and and i mean we all went to and i have an older brother as well and the three of us went to third street music school up here on 11th street okay. in the east village and you know started studying from the age of four onwards um and we all play violin which is funny um <laughs> But yeah, my sister is actively working as a musician, yeah. and um, we did a song together last year with our friend Oliver, um, and we've we've talked about doing other collaborations. Um, and, and is that the one that's tonight? You belong to me. Yeah, which is also kind of eerie song. <laughs> it's eerie the way that you present it, though. At least the, the, the version that I heard, uh, it almost sounded like it was from the like a Lawrence Welk show. Mm. Uh, this like beautiful harmonies of the two sisters, which you would often see a kind of sister act uh, yeah. doing and presented in these uh, kind of ways. It felt so wholesome to me. Mm. <laughs> and it's very beautiful. Thank you. It's a beautiful song. Uh, and yeah. so simple. Yeah. I love simple. Yeah. Our friend Oliver 
his uh, prompt was Carter family on acid. That's what yeah. he said. He wanted it to sound like. I don't know if it sounds like it's on acid, but it definitely has a Carter family vibe. A very gentle acid yes. trip, indeed. <laughs> a microdose, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was really fun. And Oliver is one of our our dear friends. We've been I've known him. We've known each other since we were twelve. Yeah. Um, we grew up in the city together, and uh, he used to run something called Mama Coco's Funky Kitchen, which was an amazing community of artists. I mean, he's done such an amazing job championing other up-and-coming indie acts um now he's got a studio upstate called holy fang Hmm. um and yeah he that was his idea i'm so glad he brought us in um it was really healing too at the time um but yeah i hope to do more i i kind of want to do like a like a feminist shangri-la's group with my sister oh yeah um because we love them but then when you look back it's all like and then he kissed me it's like all like you know like bubble gum kind of like so to kind of flip that um that look and and uh style and have it be just like you know feminist like girl power <laughs> yeah um so th- hopefully 2020 we'll work on some of that there's a great uh, girl group from san francisco that I can't remember the name, mm-hmm. so I don't know why I'm bringing it up. But I'll have to tell you about it because okay. I, I want to send you the link to it. Cool. I think that would tie into girl that. Groups. <laughs> These were good too. They're real uh, uh, radical, and then they kind of disappeared. But hmm. uh, I gather they're making a comeback now that they're all in their 70s and 80s. And so, and oh, 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 okay, like an older. Thing. Yeah, like in the 60s, they were there doing it. Oh, yeah, right. San Francisco hippies. Um, one thing that uh, there are also in a lot of these songs going back something that I think is maybe less present now, but the supernatural elements uh-huh. to them. Have you had any mystical experiences? You're in the caves, you're in the earth, you're traveling <laughs> around, you're looking where the giants are. Have you had something happen to you, maybe on tour or otherwise, I some otherworldly? definitely have had multiple ghost encounters. Um, and yeah, I was just playing. I played in New. Uh, I played in Lafayette, Louisiana, on Halloween, and that was really fun because I got to tell some of my ghost stories. A couple of them had happened in New Orleans. Um, One of the great places for ghosts. Oh yeah. By the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whether due to an inebriated state that is constant. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or that's just the trick. creepy architecture. Um, a lot of great ghosts down there. There and I've are. Been, I've been in New Orleans on Halloween, and it's a magical time to be there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I I think I I did feel one in the cabin I was staying in on Halloween, but uh, all yeah. positive experiences though. Yeah, I've never yeah. had a bean. I've never had a, a mean ghost. Yeah. But um, I did have one. I was in Nevada City, which is a really magical place in Northern California, and I was this was years ago. I was playing with my friend Griffin Rue. Um, we did a little tour after we graduated, and we were playing at this hometown venue that. The owner, I feel like he hypnotized me before we played. He's a really magical guy himself. And oh. uh, he was telling us that the the venue used to be a brothel and that there was an underground tunnel connecting it to the saloon slash hotel. It was a gold mining town. Yeah. And so the prospectors uh, or the contractors, whatever, the, the higher-ups would go underground so they wouldn't be seen going into the brothel. And he was telling us this whole story um, that that he had seen this lady ghost and her like Victorian ruffles or whatever, um, or I guess not Victorian, but, you know, fancy brothel wear. Yes. And, um, you know, or it, just like weaving this yarn and, um, and as we're standing there, 
I got this shiver down my spine and then realized that my dress was unzipping itself. Um, and the zipper went all the way down. Uh, and we all kind of like got spooked and looked around. <laughs> um, so I think that's... Did you catch it in the act of actually being pulled down? Uh, no, I just, I was like, what? That's just a weird feeling. Felt that and it then, was... yeah, and, and then it was slowly, slowly, slowly coming down. So oh. that's kind of cool that I got undressed in a ghost brothel. <laughs> uh, now, you know, I don't know if that's a ghost or just, but, but that had never happened to me before <laughs> um, or, or on that dress. Um, so that's just one of, one of the many moments that felt supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. There's a lot to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope he's not hypnotizing everybody that plays there. He might be. I got to go visit. I've been thinking about him, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well. This was uh, years ago. Be but safe. Let me just Nevada say. City is, is a, a spooky town, and everybody there talks about the ghosts in yeah. the town. It's, it's like, you know. Those old prospector places. Yeah. Yeah. Where dreams have died. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's also where Joanna Newsom is from, so that makes oh, sense that it's yep. like extra mystical. Yeah, yeah, yep. Arrived on the harp strings. Yeah, she did. Um, and finally, uh, uh, and and in addition to field recordings and all that, you play all the instruments on the on the album. Yeah, or most of them, I guess. And yeah. So you teach yourself how to play those things. Yeah, I mean, I was classically trained on violin. That's right. where it all started. Um, I'm really grateful that I have that as the basis to build upon, and I took guitar lessons. And then, yeah, just kind of picked up the other strings, ukulele, mandolin, banjo. Um, was bit. there something about the banjo? Uh, it was an accident. I was in L.A. crashing at a friend's house and waiting for my brother to pick me up. And there was a banjo there. I just started playing. I was like, whoa, this is actually way easier than guitar. Um, I think that the banjo um, has a lot of connotations um, that are interesting and, and, and hearken to the history that I'm interested in and, and these, you know, lifestyles and, um, having Appalachian roots for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't play the banjo the way that like proper, like I don't play like old time or, um, like bluegrass banjo. I kind of, I almost play it more, use it more like a sitar as almost like Mm. a drone instrument, um, to meditate with. Um, I, I also think the banjo, I took the back off of mine and I feel the, vibrations like directly in my belly um, and, and it goes right into my body and that that's something I'm really interested in studying too is um how music and 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 vibrations and frequencies can be utilized as a healing modality um and that's kind of like once I finish this record the next one I, I think I might like to go study um how to do sound healing and music therapy yeah. um and I feel it real intensely with the banjo because it's like a direct input into my system. I feel, I mean, you can, it's just so resonant. Um, I feel it in my body um, as opposed to the guitar, which is just bigger and, um, you know, there's more wood, I guess, to block it. Um, but yeah, the banjo is really easy to play. And I, I think that everybody should play. I mean, Pete, that was Pete Seeger's whole thing. It was like, everybody should play the banjo. Um, I always thought it was complicated. No, it's an open G. So it, like, just run with it. You, you kind of like don't even have to know anything. You can just pick it up and, and strum it. It'll sound good. On it. I mean, you got to get it in tune. Um, but yeah, I, I love the banjo. Um, and uh, yeah, 
Well, I'm very intrigued by the sound healing, too, because uh, they do it with the bowls and all that, right? Uh-huh. Big glass bowls, Tibetan uh, bowls that they yeah. use. Uh, so if you get that going, let me know. I'd like to come down and uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that the is the goal. And, do it. Um, and, and I have been thinking that, you know, it's something that I could also incorporate as I'm touring, you know, if, if I get certified and kind of host these ceremonies and sound baths um, and, and bring a more elevated state to... To the performance. I mean, I, I I incorporate that. Like, I have my tuning forks that are in the recordings, um, and so that's sort of like secretly happening subconsciously. Like, people don't understand that there's like sound healing happening when you're listening to the record. Um, yes. But I I really would like to um, study the science of sound and and learn how we can affect ourselves um, through frequency. And um, I've been thinking a lot about human beings having, you know, everybody has their own resonance. So I'm vibrating in a certain way and you're vibrating in a certain way. And, and when you fall in love with somebody, you're creating harmony with that person and, and then, you know, dissonance too. Um, so it's just kind of been like mapping music and the scale onto like personal interactions with people. Um, and I just think that there's so much there that, um, I'm really excited to explore, um, and hopefully like, uh, bring to other people, um, Sound baths are, are really hip right now. Um, yeah. that's, that's what every yoga studio is doing them. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> check out your local yoga studio and see if there's a sound bath. Um, it's it saved my life, honestly. Truly. Um, attending them, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It actually healed you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You, you don't hear it very much. Uh, you don't hear. That, that you actually went in and had a, a, a such a positive reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's all about I mean, people do it intention. For a reason, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it it's nice. It's just it's nice to go lay down in a cozy space and hear these sounds. Um I there's a scene, there's a crystal ashram in DC that um does facilitate sound healings um in in that area and yeah, I kind of like stumbled into one of them. Um and the the facilitator, Robert said he he had these like 300 year old bowls that had been passed down through monks and um he started out the first time i attended um describing that the frequencies of the bowls turns out nasa or something realized that they're the same frequencies emitted by the planets and so they were asking the monks like how you know how did you shave them down to be exact how did you know and they said we just listen <laughs> so i think that that's really beautiful too to think that there is this um universal kind of intergalactic uh, throbbing of of frequencies and emissions that w- that we can tap into um, through sound. Um, it's very spiritual and, and beautiful. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's everything that I've been talking about this whole season of how to blend the sort of like cosmic ancient uh, with our current moment and, and the fact that you're looking at this thing that's kind of steeped in Americana in a kind of the American experience and all that brings to it but actually going back so many years I mean even just talking about the vibrations of a banjo or holding an instrument singing playing music that that is a spiritual experience connected to the greater cosmos yeah I'm definitely. In. and even I'm like in. bringing it back to the murder ballads like that could that could be a way to like process trauma I mean trauma is passed down through generations and I'm yes. um, saying that music is and so maybe um the reason people were singing those songs is 
was to heal themselves within and that kind of like take it out of their own um, consciousness or, or psyche and and give it its own life or release it um you know maybe that that was a way for them so th- that is kind of the ancient I mean you don't really think about like people on their back porches in Appalachia like you know meditating with the tuning forks as necessarily like being a part of that culture um but, but they're playing an instrument that dates back uh, you know through africa through the middle east yeah. uh, to to the very origins of uh, the human experience right exactly and i think that that music music helps us with that process yeah. processing and, and and releasing and um and experiencing and uh you know and when you're singing i mean you're like feeling the the resonance yeah that's like a massage inside of you um i think everybody should sing all the time yeah <laughs> well that's beautiful in the, in the sacred harp thing and in the shape note singers mm-hmm. of those people just show up yeah right? creating a joyful noise creating a joyful noise i'm inspired odetta thank you by our I'm conversation inspired. by the things that you're doing it's just fantastic thank um you. and and i i uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Uh, this has been great, and you're going to take a little bit of time. Not enough time, I think, but a little bit of time, and then you're going to go back out. <laughs> I'm like going into the studio next week, so it's not really... <laughs> not even time. Uh, and so the next album's going to be whenever it comes out, whenever it happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully get some new material out next year. I mean, you know, it's hard... It's hard in the industry because there's such um so much pressure to for output, but there's also so much pressure to tour. Yeah. Because that's the only way that you can survive. So finding that balance has been really tricky um, for me personally. Of like, um, yeah, I just haven't even had time to like sit and write new material. Um, but this uh, this next record has been shaping up, and then I was just in New Orleans and um, met this kid who plays. Um, like gospel organ and jazz piano and old time fiddle and claw hammer banjo. And so I'm, I already had booked the time and I was like, whoa, like this is, I haven't met anybody else that is merging those traditions the way that Uh I am. uh Um, So I just met him last week. I'm like, get your butt up here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I'm really excited because um, I'm going to like be in the studio with like a combo, like a band. Um, And I think that that's going to be a really exciting way. I used to play with like a 10 piece, um, and that was amazing. Um, and then when I was working with Jack, the you know the thesis of it was that I could just multi-track everything myself, and that that was a great experience. But um, I'm so excited to think about um, like engaging and conversing through music with people in the room and um, kind of like jamming, dare I say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna have uh, like a like a three-piece, four-piece band in the studio and. Um, I'm really excited to see what happens with that. Um, we'll still like, you know, put the post-production digital weirdness on top over it. But, um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that um, it's going to really elevate the sound sonically. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I hope you like it when it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I will, and I'm excited to hear it, yeah. and uh, excited for, like I said, everything that you're doing, just fantastic. Um, so thank you for being here. Continued success. Uh, have uh, good good times in the studio and uh, on tour. Thank you so much. I had no idea we would end up talking about all these powerful things. I get emotional now almost every episode, but by the end of this one, I was moved deeply. Imagine the connections. Find the connections. Amplify them. Odetta Hartman, such a talented person. And I'm so pleased she could be with me and that you were here as well. 
Please go see her shows if she's coming to your town. Buy her album or albums. And you know what? Field recording is fun. You can even do it on your phone in the voice memo thingy. So go out, record some sounds this fall season of crunching leaves, the sound of depression, thinking about how dark it gets so early, whatever moves you. And then send me a copy and we'll listen together. Oh, we have fun, don't we? Well, that will do it for us this week. But remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Season 12 podcast icon illustrated by Lars Litaro. Deep Night Season 12 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the episode is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Production studio space provided by Harvestworks here in New York City. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or tune in on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you for listening, and this season, I encourage you all to leave your portals open. <laughs>